0: Last week, our our speaker closed the message on hope for our community by telling us about 10 of the most unreached nations in the world, in the Balkans, and that, you know, we don't often think about Europe as being a part of that 1040 window, but there is this, this area of our world that includes Europe and There are literally thousands of churches he and i made a video afterwards that i'll share later in the year with you but we made a video later about how there are thousands of towns and cities that do not have a church at all in that part of the world after the service we were talking about kurt and i kurt plagenhoff we were talking about an experience that becky and i had in bulgaria just a couple of years ago people that we were meeting, young adults, young adults. When I say young adults, I'm talking about the age of our college students in their early 20s. They had never, ever heard the gospel. Many of them had never seen a Bible. And we found such an open door to talk with them. And then uh, at the request of the bride and groom that I was doing a wedding for there, They asked that I would also talk about what it meant to become a Christian and how you were saved. And so there were probably just maybe 120, would you say, honey, that were there for that wedding. And and I shared the gospel, and there were tears, there were prayers of people crossing the line, and we made friends for eternity there. But I remember Becky and I talking in the little apartment that we had rented there through bed and breakfast uh, uh, website that we had used, I remember thinking and talking about the fact that it's hard to believe that in Europe there were still places that were completely unevangelized and had never heard the gospel. We later met a businesswoman. Her parents owned a Balkans wood shop, and it was all filled with all kinds of art. And, In that store, as we ask about the religious heart that was on the wall, the the daughter of the couple that owned it, she says, I have no idea what any of this means because we were asking her. And she said, my parents were never allowed to have a Bible. We were never allowed to pray. They weren't even allowed to talk to me about God. And so we had the opportunity to share with her. And I will not forget ever in my life, standing in this little business on this beautiful street there in downtown uh, Sofia, this young woman just began to weep as she heard the story of salvation and what Jesus Christ had done. We made a decision as a congregation over 20 years ago. Their mission statement would be celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. At that time, the the board and the pastors and myself, we coined a word that's since found its way into literature. Uh, to our knowledge at that time, it had never been used. And, it was called, we wanted to be a global church. And what we meant by a global church was a local church with a global mission. And so we just kind of coined that word. And we didn't talk a whole lot about it after that, but we kept that in mind. We wanted to be a local church with a global mission. One of the things, if you've been through Discovering Woodland with me, you know that we don't ever want to live in maintenance mode. We always want to live in mission mode. We want to live accomplishing what God has called us to do. I was reading recently again about the Titanic, and I know everybody's familiar with that story, and you may think, well, what else could you say about the Titanic? Well, I found out two or three things that I didn't know about the Titanic, and if you'll let me share those with you, I think it'll illustrate the difference between mission mode and maintenance mode. There was a ship 20 miles away called the Californian from the Titanic. At 10 o'clock, they shut down their radios, and they shut down their lights, and they just could not get any communication in an area of the north atlantic that was known to have lots of icebergs so they shut everything down and even though the crew saw the flares the emergency flares coming off the Titanic, they wondered what it meant and so they never responded there was another ship 58 miles away called the carpathia they had their radio on although they were in maintenance mode for the night they still had their radio on and when they heard the distress cries from the Titanic, the captain of the ship ordered full steam ahead and the carpathia for three and a half hours plowed straight ahead dodging icebergs and they were able to rescue 705 people because they had plowed ahead through those icebergs and they got there and helped rescue those folks the crew of the California wrestled for the rest of their lives in interviews of how that if they had not been in maintenance mode, if they had have just responded to the distress signals, they could have saved so many more people. As it was, over 1,500 people died because they didn't respond. That's one of the reasons you and I never want to live in a maintenance mode, because when we live in a maintenance mode, we think about the security of our family, we think about the security of the people maybe we worship with, but we're not living out the life that God called us to live. God placed us upon this earth to live, and that's to be witnesses to Him, and to be, as we say at Woodland, contagious Christians. One of my neighbors a few years ago came over to talk to me. They had just finished reading the book, The Poisonwood Bible, And in this book, Barbara Kingsolver had adapted for a a good novel, a good read, but it was a misleading read. It was a misleading novel about how that missionaries had destroyed local worship, destroyed local cultures, and had tried to westernize people. And of course, having a lot of experience in missions, I was able to talk to my neighbor and say, well, that's not exactly true. It's a good read, it's a good novel but that's not exactly the case. And I was able to share with her so many stories and, and she relaxed and we began to have a good conversation about it. But I thought you'd like to know that there was a study done of missionaries about this very thing And when they looked at these factors, economic factors, educational factors, medical factors, family relationship factors, and other markers, they discovered the most successful countries are the countries where missionaries from the church have gone to and evangelized and taught people about Jesus Christ. That the countries that are still wracked with more turmoil, more poverty, more conflict are those countries among the groups that we often call the unreached people groups. Friends, don't let anyone ever, ever persuade you or convince you that somehow or another sharing the gospel is a destructive thing to do. When we share the gospel, we're bringing life to people. What you may not know in this world, I believe of 6 billion people that we live in, 2 billion people have still never heard the good news of Jesus Christ for the very first time. So as we're in this series, Hope for the World... And the reason we're saying calling it hope is here is because Christ is here. We've talked about how our hope is built upon the character and the promises of God. We've talked about how hope... In the Bible was not just a wish, but it is the confidence in God's word and in who God is. We've talked about how hope in the Bible was always in light of the return of Jesus Christ. We've talked about hope for our families, and last week we talked about hope for our communities, and it's just to add some icing onto the cake. There was a lady this week come up and and just threw her arms around me and hugged me and says, I want to thank you so much for the hope that you've brought and what you've done in our community and I asked her, I says, I didn't know her, so I asked her her name, and she told me, and I says, how have we done that? And she says, through your ministry online, we're watching, we're listening. Friends, you've helped make that possible, and those of you online who support and give to the ministries of Woodland, you've helped make that possible. The beautiful thing about this congregation, I think, is not only is Jesus Lord, not only do we believe the Bible is the inspired and the infallible Word of God. But we have a mission, and everyone needs a mission for their life. Everyone needs a mission statement for their life. Everyone needs a purpose for their life to accomplish, and that's your first fill-in in the outline if you're following along with me, is all of us need a mission. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me, and let's go to the word of the Lord out of respect and reverence for God's word this morning. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. There it is again that reference of hope. Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about anything, instead, pray about everything. And notice how the Bible contrasts anything with everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything in your life. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done, and then you will experience God's peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand, and His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. That sounds like a preacher, doesn't it? In conclusion, is what He's saying. One final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, and keep putting into practice. All you have learned and received from me. Would you read that with me? Let's read it out loud together. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Read it one more time. I want it to get deep in your soul. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for hope that is based upon who you are and your promises. Thank you for the hope for our marriages and our children and grandchildren. Thank you for the hope for our community. Now, Lord, as we focus our thoughts upon the world, show us how big things begin in small places. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I'm traveling, I used to tell people all the time, with quite a bit of pride in my heart, When they would say, where are you from? I would say, I'm from Brownstown, Michigan. Nobody ever knew where Brownstown, Michigan was. And they'd say, where is that? And I'd say, we're this many miles outside of Detroit. After years of that, I've decided when I travel now, I just tell people I'm from Detroit. And then everybody begins to tell me all the things they've heard about Detroit, not understanding the community that we live in that makes up Down River, that's a part of Down River, is a wonderful community and is a totally different place in Detroit. I say that to you this morning because maybe no one's ever heard of where you're from, if you're from Newport or if you're from Carleton or maybe if you're from uh, Woodhaven or, or Wyandotte. All these communities that we live in that make up Down River, New Boston, Huron Township. You see, God loves small places. Big things with God always begin in small places. Never forget that. Big things with God always begin in small places. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by speaking his word. In the beginning, when Michelangelo goes to carve or to shape a statue, he begins with one small chip on a stone. In the beginning, God sent his son to a place called Bethlehem, a backwater town, a no-place town, born to peasant parents that you and I would have never imagined or dreamed for one moment, that they would raise the Messiah, the Savior of the world. In the beginning, God would not send kings and queens, but he would send shepherds that would come and they would see the newborn child. We'll talk about this more when we talk about on Thursday night, hope is born. But what I read in the Bible is that mission always begins in small places, with small things, small people, small time. The gospel is not for those people who think big thoughts about themselves. The gospel transforms small people who have little thoughts about what they can accomplish into big thoughts of what God can do through them. Isn't it interesting? Little really is Much. When God is in it? Isn't it interesting what happens to a few gallons of water and Jesus turns it into wine? Isn't it interesting what happens to loaves and fishes? Isn't it interesting what God is able to do with a cruise of oil and some flour from the bottom of a barrel when a widow is about to starve? I challenge you to just go through the Bible and look at all the small places, small beginnings, and small things that God has used. Because in America, we're so used to thinking about the big things, and God needs the powerful and the rich. No, God needs hearts like yours and mine that are willing to be on mission for Him. Because it's not enough to have a mission. It would be enough for Woodland to have a mission. We must be a church that is on mission. And being on mission is that we live out that, that mission statement of celebrating God's love by worshiping, celebrating God's love by persuading, by sharing the good news of Jesus to become what? What we want to be, passionate followers of Christ, fully devoted to Jesus Christ, fully devoted to His Word. It means that we do those things each and every day of our lives. And when we do that, we find out that when we're on mission, we have joy. When we're on mission our lives are filled with joy. In John chapter 17 and verse 13, listen to what Jesus said about our joy, your joy and my joy. Now I am coming to you. Jesus is talking to the Father. He's praying. He says, I've told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. Would you circle that? Because the joy that you and I have is unique it's the joy of the Lord. It's God's joy. Jesus is saying, I want them filled not with joy in their possessions, not with joy in their mission, not with joy in their things, but I want them filled with my joy. And we're filled with God's joy when we're on the mission that God has called us to. Well, in Philippians 4, Paul tells us some things about that joy. And remember, Philippians is a persecuted church. It's a small church and a big place being persecuted in a big way that you would never think God would use. But this book is all about joy and joyful believers. And so Paul says, there are some things that are going to happen when you're filled with joy and you're on mission. Number one, you will be considerate. That's an interesting Greek word, epiketus. It's a little difficult to define. Some people want to use the word patience. Some people want to use the word courteous. Some people want to use the word kind and tolerant. They all fit But I think the word considerate is a much better word when you look at it in the totality. In Philippians 4, 5 that we just read, the Bible says, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. But he puts it in light of this. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So that makes a big difference of how I respond when Becky asked me to help her with something around the house. It, it makes a big difference in how I respond when somebody from the church asked me to help them with something. It makes a big difference in how I respond when maybe the township or someone in the city asks for help. I want to be considerate, I want to be kind, I want to be patient, I want to be gentle, I want to be tolerant to people that may disagree with me, and I can say omission is still be tolerant, I want to be considerate in all that I can do, you see, I want to be one of those people, and you want to be one of those people, I believe, we want to be like Jesus, we want to be full of grace and truth, you see, truth is a, it's a sacred thing, I believe in truth deeply. I believe a marriage has to be built on truth. Family has to be built on truth. Churches have to be built on truth. Relationships are built on truth. None of us like to be deceived or lied to. But some people use truth like a weapon. Some people, when they use truth, there's no grace. And truth, listen, truth is the word of God. It is a double-edged sword. It can be painful. The scapel in the hands of a butcher and in the hands of a surgeon are two different things. And so some people impale others with truth. And some people, because they're full of grace and they're considerate, they draw people to Jesus with truth. And I think that's one of the reasons that people who didn't understand Jesus or maybe didn't like Jesus were repelled by Jesus because he didn't use truth to impale people with or to slash them with. But when he preached the truth, even the prostitutes and, and the sinners and the thieves and, and the wicked, the tax collectors that were at the bottom of the list, they all were drawn to Jesus Christ. People who like to impale with the truth, they were repelled by Jesus Christ. You see, truth. When it flows through passionate followers of Christ, it should bring people to Christ. You see, consideration springs from the joy that we have in the Lord. We know that God has been merciful to us as sinners, so why shouldn't we be merciful to everybody else? We know that truth is filled with a longing. We're we're awaiting the Messiah. It's why the church prayed, "Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus." Truth is a virtue because if you're going to live by truth with grace, you have to live in faith with God. Second thing that Paul says about this consideration and this joy that we have is that it will turn our worries into prayers. It will turn our worries into prayers. All of us have things from time to time we're worried about. You say, pastor, what do I do with my worries? Well, I can tell you what I do with mine, and, and I do have them from time to time, and I'll even say, Jesus, I know you say I'm not supposed to worry, to be anxious about nothing, so I, I'm just gonna come to you, and I'm gonna cast this upon you. I don't know what to do with this. Sometimes I go to bed at night, and there may be somebody with cancer, there may be somebody that hasn't crossed the line and given their heart to Jesus yet, and I know they're right on the edge, and I don't want them to die and go to hell, and those kinds of things keep me awake at night, and I, I find myself praying, And what I do is I begin to worship because as I begin to worship the Lord, something happens to my worries because as long as I'm looking at the worry, it's blocking my view of God. But as I begin to worship the Lord, suddenly I see there's no problem too big for God to handle. And I know I must annoy the pastor sometime because we come in here at 11 o'clock to pray over your needs. And a lot of times when we first start praying, I just start singing. I have to worship the Lord because we brought your needs to the Lord and I don't wanna just go and Lord bless Carolyn today and whatever she said about. I don't wanna just go Lord bless Donald today and whatever he's concerned about. But I wanna pray for you and intercede for you. So I'll I maybe circle the sanctuary several times as I worship the Lord. Somehow or another worship energizes my faith, and it worships, and it energizes my prayers. Look at how uh, Eugene Peterson translated Philippians 4:6 in the message: "Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying pray, let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayer, letting God know your concerns." Let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayer, because God will take your worries, and he will begin to refashion them. God will take your concerns, and he will begin to shape them. And worship energizes. Worship empowers your prayers, because as you are in the presence of the Lord, you overcome with him. There was a study done that 91.4%, I don't know how they got to the 4%, but 91.4% of our worries never happen. When I read that study by Richard Lefaire, I sat there and I thought for just a moment, but what about the people I know that are in that 9%? Let's just say 91% and then they're 9%. They've had a disabled child. They've had a marriage fall. They've had a failed. They've had a business to fail they're, They've gotten cancer. There's any numbers of things that they've been worried about. What happens to them? Two verses come to mind immediately, and they're not in your outline, but number one, and Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter six, he says, your father knows exactly what you need, and then the the apostle Peter would take that to another persecuted church, and we looked at this at length in our midweek series when we studied the epistles of Peter. He says, cast all your worries and cares upon him, for he careth for you. What's he saying? God will bear them up. And when God allows something to come into our life like a disabled child, or for battling a disease, or for battling a loss of business, understand this. What God allowed in your life, God will turn to good. What the enemy meant for evil, and sometimes Martin Luther, he was right when he said this: that the devil is God's devil. He's like a dog on a short leash. And God allows that is to shape you to accomplish something in your life and through your life that could be done no other way. And we may not understand it all until we get to heaven but this one thing we know God has got this and David Pace when he was dying and we sat right here and my heart was broken and just before he could no longer come to church and he said laid his hand on my knees he says pastor don't worry whether I live or whether I die I'm in the hands of God I will be with the Lord he said pastor God's got this and I will never forget that as long as I live And then the third thing that he says in Philippians chapter 4, when we have God's joy, we'll experience God's peace. I will experience the peace of God. I didn't have time because of the limitations of what we did with the first service, but I just want to remind you again that this peace is the shalom of God. It's not just the absence of conflict that everything's going hunky-dory or everything's smooth, but it's God's healing, God's provision, God's abundance, what God wants to bring into your life. Cambodian missionaries, the Whitakers, wrote in one of their newsletters of how one of the sons from a mountain village had come down and had given his heart to Christ there, and Phnom Penh, I think I'm saying that right and gave his heart to Christ. God called him to ministry, and he was going to the local Bible college there. He went back to visit with his parents and, from, and up in the mountains and he took his guitar, and he decided he would sit in the house where the family idols were, where his family lived at. He would sit in the house where the family idols were. And so, basically, he just kind of took a seat, and he sat down, and he began to sing praise and worship songs to the Lord. And he began to pray that God would break the powers of the enemy over his family. And he would break the powers of the demonic spirits behind those idols. And then suddenly, while he's singing, the, 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 the shelf that the family idols are sitting on collapses and breaks and falls. Falls to the ground, and, they, they cr- and they're they and just broken all to pieces, and his father comes running in. His father's name is Yang, and, and the young man's name is Mott, and, and Yang comes in and says to him, what have you done? What have you done? You've broken my gods. Now I can't believe in anything, and for years his father lived bitter. For years his father lived without faith in anything. His son went on and established a church and was preaching the gospel, and then His dad had lost an eye due to an accident and his good eye began to cloud. And so Matt took his father Yang to a missionary hospital where they were able to operate on his eye and he recovered his sight. And his bitterness was broken and he saw the reality. Now listen, he saw the reality of what God had done in his son's life and what God was doing through others Could God have done a miracle through Yang? Of course he could have done a miracle. But what he chose to do was use his son, use a church, and use a hospital. Sometimes I think we get so focused upon seeing miracles, we forget that God wants to use us so that others can see that we are the real deal. Can you say amen? We are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about this this morning... Let me just see if I can help you for just a little bit. How do we avoid suspicion? How do we avoid resentment? We do that through prayer and through forgiveness. How do we avoid not living in the past through all the bad things that have happened to us? We do that by making a decision like the Apostle said, with this one thing I do, forgetting all that is behind, I press forward to what is ahead. How do we avoid not fighting conditions that we can't change? Instead, we trust Jesus' words, not to be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And thanksgiving, let our requests be known to God. How do we avoid not being contaminated with the world's values while we live in the world like we spoke about last week, that we understand this, that when we work together and we encourage one another and we even confront one another when one of us fails, that we're going to to, to succeed. And how do we avoid self-pity? We avoid self-pity by looking around those about us, and we learn that the secret of success is not having abundance. Look at me. The secret of success is not having abundance. There was a televangelist evangelist that nearly got arrested. He received all kinds of prayer requests. And this is why I wanted to emphasize to you, we pray over your request. But he never prayed over them, they dumped them in the dumpsters behind uh, the offices where they received millions of dollars, and the Dallas newspaper had someone that went out there and went through, there were prayer requests that were only slid open, and maybe the checks had been removed, and the gifts had been removed. This guy turned out to be a total sham. But he had a club called the Success Club. And it was this, if you give money to me, you're going to be uber successful, you're going to have lots of money, you're going to achieve lots of fame. And yet, the Apostle Paul says the secret of success is facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need, knowing how to be content. I think what I've discovered in my life is contentment really is, as the Apostle Paul said, great gain, living with godliness. So how do we take all of this and how we bring it to bear upon our lives? Because like the Philippians, we can think of Brownstown, Newport, Carleton, Wyandotte, New Boston, Huron. We can think, how can we make a difference? And yet, God has made a difference through this church around the world. Planting churches, building hospitals, feeding hungry children every day, building orphanages, sending missionaries, paying for educations, providing professors. When I look at the local reach of this local church, when I see what we're doing then here's the truth I want you to know about yourself and the truth I know about me. The truth about us is this. I can make a difference in this world. You can make a difference. All of us working together and serving together, we make a difference. Let me come back to the Titanic for just a second. One of the stories I didn't know was that on the Titanic, there was a group of engineers that kept the lights on after the Titanic crashed into the iceberg. They kept the radio on after the Titanic crashed into the, uh, to the iceberg. They knew that if the lights failed there would be total panic and passengers would be crushing one another. They knew if the lights failed, the crew would never be able to help get the passengers to the upper decks. They knew that if the power failed, they could never lower the lifeboats into the water. The crew also knew if the radio failed, they could never get out their distress signal, which the Carpathia picked up and the California did not pick up because it was in maintenance mode. It was taking care of their passengers and their ship because nobody else mattered in a world of icebergs. But these engineers laid down their lives, and they kept the lights on until about 10 minutes before all the power was lost and the ship went underwater. As a result, 705 people were saved. Don't focus upon the 1,517 people that were lost to the sea. Focus upon those that were saved. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me this morning. We can make a difference in the world. We may not be able to save everyone, but we can give everyone that will listen an opportunity to know Jesus Christ is their lord and savior that's the difference that we make to our relationships by the way these men who laid down their lives for the passengers it was the first time that a monument had been erected in great britain to the working man so let me share with you just a few scriptures real quickly and then we're going to close this morning jesus said in matthew 13 and verse 43 the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom and anyone with the ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, don't miss that. When you live for Jesus, you're as brilliant as the sun. If you try to live like the world and then try to live for Jesus on Sunday, you're going to burn out. You're going to explode. But when you live every day for Jesus, you're going to be as brilliant as the sun. Secondly... I tell you the truth, Jesus said. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When we build a house in Nepal for $3,000 this year, maybe we'll build several houses. I I don't know. It all depends on how much comes in for our our annual Christmas offering. As of last week, over $12,000 had come in towards our $100,000 goal. Think about the difference we'll make in a family who doesn't even have a home that we'll be building a home for. They'll have a roof, they'll have a floor, they'll have insulated walls. They will have a place to live. Think about the difference in the children in the orphanage in the Philippines, that we will make a difference in their lives. The children, the congregation, the church, who will build a clinic in El Salvador. And I could go on with the list of things. Convoy of Hope is on the ground, helping in Kentucky. How we'll be able to help them help others as we give towards this offering. We make a difference. Think about the difference you'll make in somebody's life if you invite them to the Christmas Eve service and they come and they give their heart and life to Jesus Christ because they're looking for hope. I talk to people every week who need hope. And then let me close with this story right here. There was these lepers and they were the outcasts. They were the rejected. They were the ones that nobody thought God would ever use. They were the ones that, well, let's just be honest. And if you're listening online, follow me closely here. They were the ones that would have said, God can't use them. When God called me into the ministry, the only people that encouraged me were my parents. My pastor told me I couldn't do it. My school counselors told me I couldn't do it. My pastor even bought in another pastor to tell him, "says You can't do this. You're not physically able to do this." My scholarship counselor told me I couldn't do it. You see that oftentimes the people we think God can't use or want use is the people that God does use. And there were these lepers who ate the garbage that were thrown over the walls. If they got too close to people that were healthy, they threw rocks at them. These lepers happened upon a place where God had done a miracle for the people of of Jerusalem. Now, the people didn't know that God had provided for them because they were so worried. They were so obsessed with their worries. They didn't know God had provided. God had done a miracle. He defeated the enemy. They fled. They left their tents. They left their gold. They left their silver. They left all their food. And these starving, starving lepers who says, why are we sitting here until we die? They got up and began to make a journey, and sovereignly they came upon this camp. They began to rejoice. There was wine, there was food, there was clothing, there was silver, there was gold. They had just come upon paradise for them. And while they're eating and satisfying themselves, one of them says, This is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people in the palace. Brothers and sisters, can I ask you this morning, can we go out and tell it on the mountain? Can we invite people to come to our Christmas Eve service? Can we each one become financial supporters and prayer partners and missions on a monthly basis? Can we realize that even though nobody may have heard of Brownstown or Wyandotte or Huron Township, God takes small people in small places like Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph, and he brings salvation to the world. Can you say amen? I want to be, I want to be like the Carpathia. I want my ears attuned. I want my heart in gear. And even though I might be resting for the night, I want to hear that distress call when it comes because I'm not living in maintenance mode. I'm living in mission mode. And when you live in mission mode, you have joy. Would you stand with me this morning? Father in heaven, I love you with all of my heart. And I thank you for the peace and the joy of the Lord that passes all understanding. And I'm asking you to hear my prayer in our intercession. God, there's nothing impossible there's nothing impossible for us if our faith is in you you said all things are possible and Jesus what can happen here Christmas Eve night staggers my imagination what can happen here in a midweek service Lord I've seen it in the spirit even though I haven't seen it in the natural yet And I pray that all the powers that hell have raised against downriver will come crashing down as we worship you. And I pray that the hope that we have will shine from this church to the world through our joyful noise giving, through our daily prayers, And through our monthly support of these wonderful missionaries that we support from Woodland. Now, finally, Lord, there may be someone here or online that hasn't crossed the line yet and given their hearts to you. (laughs) Would you touch them right now? Let them know there's hope. Let them know there's new life. Let them know that you have already done the miracle for them. Don't let them be blinded by what they think they know or blinded by their worries, but just simply trust in your character and your promises. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, there is a real God who loves you. And I will never try to impale you with that truth. I'll never try to cut you with that truth. I want that truth to draw you to the Lord. I want the truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you and that's me, believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want the truth this morning that God has a purpose, a mission for your life. You're not an accident. And finally, I want the truth that it's not how good you are, it's how good God is. It's the character and the promises of God. So if you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me this morning? Just close your eyes and pray it sincerely. I'll pray slowly. You repeat after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I accept that that's what you did for me. Thank you, Lord, for the joy and the peace and the purpose that you give for life. I want to understand that. And in so doing, I want to fully commit myself to being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. So as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my heart and come into my life so that I might live for your glory and for your honor. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.